0: that's com slash blue wire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new health care regimen, including EE system.
1: This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado.
0: Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets a center. Perry. By! Corey
1: Perry. Well, you able to shake away from Solani. It's giving away this- Hello everybody, welcome to the Forever Mighty post-game show for the final Ducks game of the 2021 season. Uh, Anaheim lost in overtime to the Minnesota Wild 4-3 and it's over. The The year is over. I think there's a lot of different emotions it's a it's a weird thing. I don't know that I'm used to. You know, I, I know we've had it the last two years, but I would say I'm I've relatively spoiled in having a playoff run to look forward to, and then this year being so weird in general. But it's over, and you know, today I think was the perfect game to end this season on. I think uh, I think it was a fun game to watch because the Minnesota Wild have decided to play fun hockey, and Kirill Kaprazov's a blast. And Anaheim has seen some of their young players take a leap or show the uh, the type of support that we know that they can provide to a good lineup. I think uh, it's very clear how much of an impact Trevor Zegaris and Jamie Dreesdale have. Not only on the lineup as a whole, but I think specifically the younger player. I think Terry looks incredible. I think Lundestrom looks so much better. I think Sam Steele at the end here, you know, kind of looked a little bit better, but we'll get into that. Max Jones, Max Comtroy, everybody seems to be able to to fit into a role a little bit smoother uh, with having that, those guys kind of there. You know, uh, at this point, I think if you said Jamie Drysdale was the number one defenseman and the Trevor Zegers was the number one center for the next, I don't know, ten years. I don't think anybody would have any issues with that. I think there's a lot of things to be excited about there. But you know, like, you know, like I said, I think this game is a perfect metaphor in a lot of ways. I think Anaheim kind of held it a little bit early, kind of managed to hold on a little bit, go into the intermission one-one. So, Second intermission, uh, second period starts, and you know, before you know it, they're going into the second intermission three-one on not great goals. As far you know, I don't want to break plays down or anything like that, but you know, I think those were both pretty, pretty bad goals. The the Ryan Hartman goal was pretty, pretty perfect. The rush up the other way, just a sloppy goal goes in, and you know, Cam Fowler gave the interview uh, at intermission, and you could hear it in his voice. He was pretty. He was pretty pissed off. He was really disappointed with the effort that they had kind of put out there for the first two periods. And, you know, I think in a lot of ways it meant something to him to show up for Ryan Miller's last game. Ryan Miller, probably the greatest American goaltender ever. Uh, I think you can certainly make a case for Jonathan Quick based on cup rings, but I, I think the total body of work speaks for itself. I think... Ryan Miller is a much better goaltender than Jonathan Quick was. You know, he was really pissed off about it. Uh, and You could hear his voice, and he said, you know, hopefully we can show up and have a little bit more for somebody uh, for Miller in this third period, and that's what ended up happening. Trevor Zegers skates down the left wing, gets a nice shot off. Uh, I'm really not even sure how the hell he beat the goalie there. Like, I, I don't—you know, <laughs> just the simple physics of putting it that perfectly— cross cage like that I, I just think was pretty remarkable um and then the um third goal which I am blanking on Comtois there it is thank you everybody you know you saw him going to overtime and you could see the uh Zegris Comtois Drysdale unit out there and they were awesome they looked great that looks like a t- you know a, a unit that you would be happy to send out there anytime but they don't score. Then you get to the next unit and now you have Terry Jones and Manson. And, you know, look, I I think Troy Terry's an easy one as far as putting in a three on three setting. He's smart. He's capable of making plays. He's got a good shot. Makes a lot of sense. Max Jones, fine. You know, I think he's got a lot of speed. He's got um, better playmaking skills, but he's, you know, negligible or marginal, I guess, as far as being one of the guys you're going to in a three-on-three overtime setting. And then the last guy is Manson. And I'm as big a Manson, a defender, uh, as anybody. But at the end of the day, Manson on a three-on-three is just a very bad idea. Um, You know, I don't think his skating is good enough. And I think when you put him just with that much open ice, you take away his ability to be effective. And that's the unit that's out there when they score the, uh, overtime goal to win it. And so, like I said, I think in a lot of ways, it's a perfect metaphor because what you see is a team with a lot of promise and who kind of showed up a little bit at the end, come up short ultimately. And that's really what this year was. You know, I think pretty quickly this year fell off and, uh, we all kind of realized what it was. Um, you know, I think a lot of us were certainly, expecting this season to be a not playoff season in a lot of ways, but I don't know how many of us thought it was second worst team in the league type of season. And yet that's where they finish. You know, it's hard to look at any part of the season and say that isn't exactly who they are. They're they're the second worst team in the league. And that seems right to me. I think the only team under them is Buffalo and Buffalo is such a tire fire what are you going to do? It just is what it is. The Ducks aren't there. They are at organizationally. They're much more competent than that. So you understand why that team is there. But the Ducks were bad this year. And now they're going to have another try draft pick. And they're going to go into the summer and an expansion draft and an entry draft and off season and a weird, hopefully 82 game season, Uh, you know, next year, uh, first year with 32 teams in the league, you're going to have, the Seattle uh, Kraken be in the league. It's going to be a whole new thing, but I I don't know what really could happen this summer. I think that would put this team in a position to improve significantly uh, on a results level uh, than what we saw this year. I think Trevor Zegris taking a step, Terry Comtois, you know, all those guys, the young guys taking a step, I think will have tangible benefits as far as competent level of play everybody looking better um, looking more comfortable at the NHL level but I don't see any reason to think this isn't a bottom five team in the league next year unless something really weird happens you know maybe you get a lucky year where all the kids take one jump together and all all of a sudden you know you're pushing for a second or third in a west or something like that but I think as of now it is hard to think that this team will be significantly better from a standings perspective uh, next year than they were this year. And that's fine, you know. I I think you can look at this team and see that it still needs elite talent. You know, you look around the league at the moment, you've got Clefbaum and Dreisaitl and McDavid. And then you've got, you know, Colorado, which is the unfair one with, Landeskog and Rantanen and Burakovsky and McKinnon and McCar and Gerard and they've got uh, Bowen Byron who will probably be a full timer next year. You know, then you go over to Tampa Bay and you've got Kucherov and Point and Hedman and Stamkos and Palat and all these guys. And then Boston and Pasternak and Marshawn and you know, I just think it's 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 easy to see that. As exciting as what we saw flashes of this year is, as much potential as there may be going forward, um, it's not there yet. It's not going to be enough. And I think the question becomes is what does Anaheim do now to put itself in the best position going forward? to ensure that not only are they able to take that jump when the time comes, but that they're doing everything between now and then to make that next step as easy as possible. There's, there's a lot of legitimate questions to be asked about which players should still be on this team next year, which players should be protected And then you've got the draft, and that's a a big source of optimism. Uh, You know, as we talked about with Josh, there isn't necessarily the uh, generational player that everyone kind of hopes for. But there are certainly uh, high-end difference makers uh, in this draft that Anaheim will have a really good shot at getting and should probably get someone they can be very happy about, uh, as far as decisions coming out of the draft, you know, the future's the future and all that crap. As of right now, I think they're in a good spot. Um, you know, I think you have to hope that you win or stay the same in the draft lottery. Um, I think Anaheim can't fall any farther back than fourth, which is huge, but Ultimately, it's still, it's still close enough, I think, at the top with a couple of names that there's a maybe not a huge difference between 1 and 2, but I think the options at 1 and 2 are a little different than 3 and 4 just because of the, the type of players available in that top 5 or 6. Well, you know what? Eddie actually made a point uh, to me before the show, and I want to talk about that, which is, is this... Ryan Getzlop's last game in Anaheim. I feel very confident that all of us would say no. I don't think any of us think it is. But he just finished up his 16th season. He's 35 years old. He's played over 1,000 games. He's won a Stanley Cup. He doesn't necessarily have any of the individual hardware. But at this point, there's nothing really left for him to do. So it's about whether or not he wants to keep playing and if he wants to be part of the team as it's constructed and if he thinks what he can bring can be valuable you know we heard recently him talk about wants to always be in a position of helping the franchise whether that's with or without him you know I think that's why obviously as we went over at the trade deadline there was even some talk at all despite most of us thinking that was never going to happen you know and they acknowledged it that there if there was an opportunity then they would have gone for it and I think that's Ultimately, I think that will be Getzlob's legacy with the team and as the captain. I feel that he genuinely put the team first more often than not. I think when you look at his style of play, he embodies that kind of team, that physical team first style of play that we saw the Anaheim Ducks have for 10 years. That's who he is. That's, That's from the way he plays to the way that he carries himself to all that stuff. You know, when that falling out with Timu happened uh, towards the end and Timu felt like Getzloff didn't have his back, Getzloff said, he said, I'm not the captain of Timu. I'm the captain of the team and I have to do what I think is best for the team. Now, what does that mean ultimately? I don't know. And I'm I certainly have some questions as far as what kind of conversations the two of them had. But the point remains is that Getzloff always felt that his responsibility was to the group at large and to the organization. He has felt that it was his home and he has made that perfectly clear that this is where he sees himself um you know even beyond his playing career so if it is his last year or if that was his last game i'll probably be pretty upset gets one of my favorite players of all time you know for me he's the greatest player in franchise history the most dominant, the most important. He captained over the most successful eras, uh, the most successful era of Ducks hockey. I'm pretty sure he was the leading scorer in the playoffs for the cup run. He's got two gold medals. He's done everything. There's nothing for him to prove. I will always appreciate him sticking through with Anaheim. But all things said, I think it's a little premature. I think there's a really good argument to be made that we'll see him back next year at you know four or five million dollars whatever ultimately ends up being doable for him and the organization you know I think he's is a man with pride and you know he's going to want to to some extent be paid accordingly so I don't think we're going to see him on a, a one uh, you know on a million dollar deal or something like that but I, I don't think he's going to be up at six or seven million a year I think he knows who he is and where he's at in his career and I imagine we'll see him somewhere but between four and five. What does that mean for the team? What happens with Henrique and Steele and Lundestrom and, you know, Zegris and Grant? There are a lot of players on this team that deserve a chance at Ice Time, at legitimate top nine Ice Time and opportunities. And there aren't enough spots for all of them. I think I've made it semi-clear that I I think that there's absolutely an opportunity for them to get a lot out of uh, the expansion draft. Um, I think it's absolutely an opportunity for them to put themselves in an incredible position going forward and, and get out from some of the mistakes that they may have made recently with contract extensions to older players. But none of that's certain. There's a chance that Steele or Volkov or Mahura or... Larson, you know, Stolar, something like that end up on Seattle instead of any of the more experienced and higher priced guys. You know, Elliot Friedman recently came out and said that the rumor is Seattle wants to go into the free agency period with about $40 million in cap space. You don't do that. You don't get that. Taking guys that are making five and a half, six, six and a half million dollars uh, for the next few years. Uh, I know there is some concern about them needing to get to the cap floor and stuff but if they think that they are going to be in a position to really make a splash in free agency this summer then there's no reason for them to take any of those big name players or big contract players and to be honest I think it makes a lot of sense I think you know if you look at them you're coming into a league where the cap is going to stay flat and everybody's already freaking out because they're going to lose a guy to you and going to be free agents this summer and you know maybe Seattle comes in and godfather's taylor hall you know maybe taylor hall gets a two by seven two by eight maybe that's the only place he can get that kind of deal I, you know after the way this year went i don't know that boston's necessarily going to be rushing to give him that deal i don't know that anybody is but if seattle you know wants to bring him in because they feel that they have the support then that makes a lot of sense for them you know you've got guys like dougie hamilton again gonna be available this summer gonna be worth money uh they might be in a position to kind of exploit that and really come out of this summer in a a really really great spot we'll have to see but as far as anaheim's concerned you know anaheim has to hope that they lose a player that they see as a top nine player one way or the other because if they don't then they're in the same position now which is where they've got a bunch of guys and it doesn't really add up I think Zegers and Lunderstrom have certainly earned the right to be protected, and I think they have certainly shown that they can be a a potential one-two punch. I don't think Lundström is there to be sure. Uh, I I'm not quite sure that necessarily the the offensive potential is there, but I think he can be a very very good center and. You know, maybe if you have, you know, playmakers around him that can elevate the offense of that line, then I think you've got a chance to him being a a really good backup or a a second uh, blah, blah, blah. Wow. (laughs) Being a really good second line center behind Trevor Zegris. But there's a center in this draft this year who looks like they would be an even better second line center behind him uh, because they've already done it. Uh, you know, Matty Beniers has played behind Zechris already in juniors. Um, he is exactly that kind of uh, that that full 200 foot player, that full energy, all the intangible stuff. And he's still going to be able to put up points. Um, you have that guy, then that slots Lundstrom down. And now you're looking at a situation where Lundestrom is kind of Jordan Stahl-esque as far as uh, a high end third line center. To the chat, Hardcore Luchador and Natty both point out Zegers doesn't have to be protected. Yes, I apologize. I I misspoke. What I meant to say is that their spot within the lineup uh, for Zegers is obviously guaranteed and that Lundestrom has earned the right to be protected. My apologies. Then you go to the wings and you've got Terry and Milano and then Volkov and Jones and Comtois and Silverberg and Raquel. And, you know, where do all these guys play? You've still got Colangelo and Perot who are going to be hoping to make a leap. You've still got Brayden Tracy who's going to be hoping to make a leap. It is really time for this, to, this organization to decide which players are going to be part of its future. I think for me, it's pretty clear cut. We were about to go into it and then we I got sidetracked by the gets left thing, but uh Oh, Silver Stash, who is your protected list? That's what it was. I'm so sorry. And I think if you ask me right now, I am looking at Heinen, Jones, Lunderstrom, Raquel, Steele, Terry, Volkov, Flurry, Lindholm, Manson, Gibson. There is some question about Comtois. I'm not a hundred percent sure if he does or doesn't need to be protected. If he does, then I think uh you have to look at either um, Steele or Heinen uh, as being the ones that you don't protect. Maybe you know Volkov uh, is the guy instead. But I think uh, obviously Comtois has
0: to be protected no matter what. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. When you get
1: to the defense, you have Flurry, Lindholm, Manson. I, I just think those are the three guys to protect. I think those are the the guys who either a can get you something this summer uh, after the draft or next uh, next year during at the trade deadline. Or in the case of Flurry, he's a guy who could project to be a big part of this team going forward. Same thing with Hampus Lindholm. He's kind of right on the right on the line. You know, I think Hampus Lindholm is good enough and skilled enough that i think his game will age really well and i think if the ducks locked him in for another contract at a a reasonable price whatever that may be by the time you know the cap gets all set and all things like that i think that's great manson's a hard one for me i think manson at this point is should be protected because i think he's the most desirable asset kind of left as far as being that type of player again all the reasons that you know we thought teams might want to trade for him this year at the deadline are still going to be are still going to be there next year um and you know maybe somebody loses somebody in the expansion draft and they're looking to fill the top four hole and they're a contender great now you've got a guy like josh Manson who goes and steps right in uh and it's pretty perfect for him so I think that's why you protect Josh Manson. I think Fleury and Lindholm are players you're kinda of looking forward you're you're looking to the future with. Josh Manson is someone that as much as it's a joke of a statement sometimes, the asset management thing makes the most sense with him. The thing the the best position right now that Anaheim is in is nobody on the team has a no movement clause. There is nobody that they're going to have to protect. Gesloff will be a UFA this summer, so he won't uh, count, and Ryan Kessler, because he hasn't played, he is exempt, so they do not have to um, protect him. What you get with is, do you want to risk losing some of the younger guys and protecting your older guys who you consider to be part of your core, like a Silverberg or a Fowler or a Henrik, or do you expose those guys, except that the cap space and the roster space has a net positive value for you, and while they are players that you want to keep in the organization from a culture level and from a you know consistency level, you have to move on eventually. Turnover is just part of part of the game; it's part of the league, and at a certain point, you know guys just move on. Um, maybe they take a guy like Shattenkirk. That's fine. You know, I I don't think there's anything about what he did this year that he has to be protected, should be protected, or losing him is a huge thing. He was fine enough. I think he certainly struggled early on, but this team wasn't very good. And I don't know that he is a difference maker. I don't think he's necessarily the type of player who's going to take you from bad to good. And I think that was, among many things, one of the miscalculations going into this year. But I definitely think he is the team that can help a good team be a very good team, right? If you're kind of on the the edge of making it, I think bringing in a guy like Kevin Shattenkirk with his skill set and being able to run a second power play, play minutes, generate offense, he can be more valuable to you there. Uh, for Anaheim, I'm not sure what what all that much he has to offer, you know, so I don't really know that he's part of the conversation for who to protect. For the other ones, you know, it's Henrik and Silverberg and Fowler. And again, like, Adam Henrik is perfectly fine. I love Jacob Silverberg. You know, Jacob Silverberg's been one of my favorite players on this team for his entire tenure. I just love the way he does about it. I love that he's better in the playoffs. I love that he's a full 200-foot winger. I love that you can play him on any line with anybody, and he is going to show up but he's 30 and this team isn't competing and he's making over five million dollars for i believe four more years maybe three more years and that's a problem that doesn't align with where this team is and you can have one of those guys maybe you can get away with having two of those guys you can't have three of those guys and right now they do in Fowler, and Henrique and Silverberg. I have said before, I think Cam Fowler getting taken would be the best situation. Uh, well, no, that's not fair. I think Adam Henrique getting taken would be the best, because I think his contract will be the hardest to move. Uh, I think Cam Fowler is the player that Anaheim needs to trade sooner than not, but if Anaheim lost him, in the expansion draft, I do not think it would be a disaster. Um, I, I understand what he means to the organization. I understand what he means to the fan base. He was in a lot of ways, hopefully going to be the defensive version of Getzloff or Perry, uh, you know, one of those guys, but I don't think he's really been that. And that's, you know, I don't know that that's necessarily his fault. (laughs) I don't think that's how that works. I also think he has been fine this year. He's been really good. The last year he was pretty damn good. But again, like, I don't know how excited I am that his best years were when the teams were the worst. does coincide with Akins coming in, and maybe that is a stylistic change that has shown uh, that, is sh- that has produced tangible benefits in his play. But I'm not sure. I, d- I don't know that that's necessarily the case. And I'm not 100% sure that Akins is the coach of this team next year. And if that's the case, then you're hoping again that another coach who can get more out of Cam Fowler. Uh, DB Lowry says, Jacob Larson is the best possible situation. No, he doesn't make that much money. He makes $1.2 million for another year. It's not a big deal. He can trade him at the deadline for a seventh round pick. You can make a, you know, Yuri Sakoc kind of deal where you trade him, you get another project in return. uh, And that's just kind of where he's at. I don't think him getting taken in the expansion draft makes an impact on this team because He's a sixth-seventh defenseman that and he's not really stopping anybody. I think he's just a little bit farther along as far as opportunities I guess presented to him at the NHL, and I understand that him over Mahura is certainly something people are have been frustrated about, myself included. But Jacob Larson isn't doing anything. He is not hurting this team in any way. And so I don't know that getting rid of him is a net benefit. Cam has looked good this year with all his partners minus Manson. Coincidence? No, he's been fine. You know, I don't think, again, like I think he's been one of the better players on a team that hasn't been very good. And I think that there has been enough evidence historically to show that those guys aren't maybe the guys you want to hold on to. You know, I think somebody asked earlier about uh, Cam having a, uh, if he had a no trade clause. He has a modified no trade clause uh, Four teams. He can be traded to four teams. That's it. It's part of the reason, uh, if not a significant part of the reason, why I think that contract is so bad uh, is because Anaheim has very little ability to get out of it. It's too long, it's too much, and it's way too protected. uh, You just can't have that mix that way. Cam Fowler is a perfectly fine second-pairing defenseman. I think if he's your fourth defenseman, you're in a great spot. If he's your second defenseman, you're screwed. It just can't be. Now, on this team, yeah, he's kind of a third-four defenseman right now with Lindholm and Drysdale ahead of him. But with Hayden Fleury, do you want to play Cam on the bottom pair do you want to look at it that way do you want to pay play flurry on the bottom you know what I mean I just think if he's on the team he's gonna be a top four guy and if he's a top four guy that's preventing someone with more potential from stepping in there and I don't see how that's helpful not to mention that there are a number of defensemen at the top of this draft who could be significant impact. Impact players and difference makers on a team in a few years, and if you've got a spot being taken by, you know, a veteran like Cam Fowler, what does that do to some of the numbers? You know, so I, I get it. If you decide to keep Cam Fowler, that means you have to trade Ambus Lindholm, and if that's what you want to do, that's fine. I know that maybe there's an argument to be made that as far as yeah, his value, his trade value being higher, his cap it being lower, and You know, maybe you can get more in return, but if you ask me to pick, I'd rather have Hampus Lindholm than Cam Fowler on the team for the next 10 years. You know, I understand the franchise and the organization institutionally has a lot of love and a lot of appreciation for Cam Fowler and what he brings, and I think all of it's true. I think he's been a wonderful uh, addition to the roster from a fan perspective. He's incredible incredibly thoughtful. He's incredibly patient. He's, you want to be careful, I guess, or whatever, but like, you know, there's never been anything about him to make us question his standing in the organization. And I think that's huge. He gives very good answers. He's clearly a leader. He's great with all of the things that you want a player to be when you draft him that high, except for the production. You know, I, I just think other than his play, he's great. If you want to keep him around, that's fine. You want to trade Hampus Lindholm, that's fine. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a terrible decision because I think his contract, next contract, will obviously be more expensive than Cam Fowler's. So maybe you go sniffing around and see if you can get desperate. You know, if Toronto doesn't make it to the Final Four this year, maybe you can trick them into Hampus Lindholm for William Nylander or something crazy like that. I don't know. But at the end of the day, neither of those guys are likely to be the guy when this team is competing again. But you can't not have one of them around for the short term. You need to have just competent veterans around while you're making that transition uh, because otherwise you put yourself in a position to turn into Buffalo, where. There's just too much... Or even Edmonton before uh, McDavid got there. You know, it's just a bunch of young players and nobody's really able to kind of show them the direction that they know to be. You know, I I know a lot of that falls on coaches and the organization, but the fact of the matter remains is players have a lot of say and influence on other players. Having guys around who can help them navigate those early years of their career is incredibly important. Mm -hmm. Maybe you can get those guys... For the bottom of the roster, but I think it, it it it's more valuable when those guys are a core part of the So I guess all that is to say that I think Cam Fowler will probably be on this team forever, and it wouldn't surprise me if Hampus Lindholm got traded. Uh, I think Josh Manson will get traded, I think Shattenkirk probably should. But at the end of the day, whoever they take in this draft is gonna be more important than who they trade away next year at the deadline, most likely. We talked about the draft a little bit, and I don't want to dance around it, I guess. So as far as, you know, um, Caitlin Van Elst asked, if you had a top two pick, who would you take in the draft? I think there are probably four choices, ultimately. I think you've got Brant Clark, Luke Hughes, uh, Maddie Beneers, and Kent Johnston. If you asked me right now, I would say Beneers. I imagine by the time the draft comes around, uh, Brant Clark will have made more of a case for himself as I I maybe learn more about him uh, and things like that. But I think those are probably your two two guys. But, you know, a lot of people think Luke Hughes has the highest upside in the draft. Um, You know, that he projects to be a top-pairing defenseman. And if you take him, you put him next to Drysdale and that's your top line forever or your top pair for, you know, again, 10 years and you're set or you drop him down a pair. And now you have a guy who can anchor a second pair. And that's incredibly valuable. Matty Beniers, like I said earlier, he's the kind of guy that he's a perfect Seneca line player. He's going to play smart. He's going to play, uh, he's going to play full 200 feet. He's going to chip in offensively. He's going to play that kind of physical, demanding, structured game that will allow a player like Zegris to flourish. You know, you give Beniers the tougher matchups and you try to see if you can kind of work it a little bit, get a little, get some bad matchups for him that way and let Matty Beniers just play the hardest guy on the other team every night. You know, again, uh, Luke Hughes is, seems like he has the opportunity to be an incredibly, productive blue liner, um, run a power play, put up points, play big minutes, good skating. And when it comes to Kent Johnston, uh, as we talked about again with Josh Bell, he's, he's a little bit of the, or maybe this was just me and Eddie talking, but he's a little bit of the, uh, the Mitch Marner ish as far as a, a center who will probably move to winger and will be, uh, just an incredibly creative player, Um, and just the flashy, silly stuff and, and, you know, having two of that, as far as having a guy like that on a second line, uh, behind Zegers is, is just as exciting. You know, I, I, that might be the best pick as far as potential upside, just because offense is the hardest thing to come across in this league. But I, I, I do think that all of the reasons uh, that people talk themselves into liking more responsible 200 foot players i i think are legit and so i think if you take Maddie Veneers, i don't think you're gonna regret it i mean obviously you could because drafts work that way all the time but you know i don't think that the the logic of taking a guy who can just step in and be the second line center for 10 years it, is a bad thing i think that makes all the sense in the world so i i, I do think for me if i had the first pick i would take uh maddie veneers and i think second after that would probably be brant clark uh just because he's right-handed josh said he's a better skater than jamie dreesdale which i'm not sure i believe um but he was he looked incredible at worlds you know he in a lot of ways i understand everybody was excited about Connor bedard and uh mitchkoff i can't remember the kid's first name but brant clark did a lot of good for himself as far as getting his draft stock to rise. And more than a few people made comments that they think he could be the best player in this draft. Uh, No question. So, you know, I think for me, those are the two guys that I would be looking at. The hardest would be Beneers and Clark. Let's see. Who are you rooting for in the playoffs? And who is your pick to win the Stanley cup? So Christopher Smith asked, who am I rooting for in the playoffs? Uh, probably Toronto because I like Austin Matthews and I want an American to give Canada its first Stanley Cup. I think that would be very funny to have a incredible American player from Arizona take the Toronto Maple Leafs to the promised land and get Canada its first Cup since, I don't know, what is it, like 92 with Montreal? I think that's that's what I would I would love the most. I think that's a lot of fun. I think uh, having a team like Tampa Bay win is always good for the league because they just play so much, they play such fun and exciting hockey. You know, I, I think that's always a good thing is when skilled teams like that are, are rewarded over and over again, you know? We saw what a decade of Boston and Chicago and la did to hockey so let's see if we can do that in the other direction let's see if we can really start to ramp it up really get these skilled teams to to take over the league and start to make the game fun a little bit you know get out of the really shake off the last grasps of the dead puck era and see if we can start getting some more four three games and make the playoffs offensive and instead of defensive um You know, everybody simplifies their games and all that crap when you get to the playoffs. But at the end of the day, teams with just that kind of elite skill are always fun. Oh, and Colorado, obviously, uh, is a blast. So let's do that. I think, yeah, I will go with that. I will say Colorado from whatever the West looks like and Toronto from whatever the East looks like, even though neither of those things are going to work and there's a chance that they could play each other in the semifinals. Um, but I will go with those two. I don't know that there's much more to talk about. I know uh, we plan to try to sit down with some more people, hopefully. Um, we have a lot of stuff we want to get into trouble-wise as far as stuff to do for you guys over the offseason. And the four of us will be getting together to do a, uh, a season wrap you know, just trying to take big picture, and I'm sure we'll go over some of our dumb predictions and, and stuff like that. I guess the last thing before, before I sign off here would just be, I want to say thank you to everybody. Um, this was a very weird year, and it was a very hard year for a lot of people. The fact that so many of you were willing to spend your, your precious free time with us, as often as you've been able to, and as often as you've been willing to has is, is really meant a lot um we've really appreciated having everybody here for the ride i know you know this was my first season doing this and i've had an absolute blast the boys have been great um the podcast has been a ton of fun and you know the best part has been being able to talk to a lot more people about ducks hockey than yelling at my dog who really isn't all that interested in ducks hockey unfortunately So, yeah, I just on behalf of all of us, I just really want to say thank you so much to everybody who spent your time and for the Patreon uh, subscribers, your money, uh, you know, on four guys who just really just want to have as much fun as we can trying to talk about the Anaheim Ducks and what that gets us. Thank you, everybody, so much, and we will see you all very soon.